Boat Talk is brought to you in part by Captain Yo's Flaming Fish Performance Models, handmade miniature wooden sailing vessels, on the web at flamingfish.net. Little ships for big kids. Support for Boat Talk also comes from Front Street Shipyard, a Midcoast, Maine boat building, repair, and storage facility located in Belfast. Front Street Shipyard on Penobscot Bay, offering dockage, service, and amenities for owners, captains, and crew. Online at frontstreetshipyard.com or 930-3740. The time's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online everywhere at WERU.org. Boat Talk with your hosts Mike Joyce and Ellen Sprague is up next. Good morning, good morning. It's the second Tuesday of the month, 10 o'clock in the morning. Time to start up Boat Talk, your call-in radio show for people contemplating things naval with your crusty, rusty anchors, Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague, and a special guest today, Lori Schreiber. Boat Talk, uh, as I said, is a call-in radio show, and uh, it's been solo for the last two shows. Mike uh, did the show solo last week, or last month, and then I did a show That's right. Solo I don't right recommend it. How'd you like it? No, no. I think yeah, right. it worked better together. Yeah. Um, one thing I did hear, though, there, there, if you happen to listen to the guy who does the Barefoot Blues Hour... Few, I've heard of that. A few weeks ago, was talking about how life is like radar, he said. Yeah, the radar theory of yeah. life. I developed that sitting in the pilot house of a uh, tugboat uh, going down the East Coast this January yeah, and February. I, yeah. I like that. I thought that was really something to reflect on. Good one. <laughs> There's the pun this morning. I was hanging, hanging, was hanging, and waiting for it. Yeah. I uh, also have a... Trying to not resent being called crusty this morning, yeah. you know, but... Um, I have a, 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 a Navy radar story to tell in a little bit, too. But um, let's get around to the local news first. What's what's happening? Uh, besides, uh, have you heard Atlanta, uh, Antarctica is breaking up? No. Yeah, it was on the news last night. Isn't it kind of solid? It's a continent. Yeah, there's a big uh, ice shelf on one okay. side. It uh, looks like it's going to come loose, and they're saying that the... Uh, the ocean is going to raise as a result of that somewhere between uh, 8 and 14 feet, I believe it was, in the, in the next uh, 50 years, 70 years. i tell you what I find fascinating, Alan. Um, I find fascinating the current discussion we have among ourselves, okay? And uh, climate change is in the news right now. There's a new report out, and the president was just speaking about... Uh, Things we need to do, and then you have the other folks that say, nope, you're making it up to mess us up, okay? This is all power grab. It's all it's all a plot by scientists over many years. Right. And uh, I tell you, the people that uh, used to uh, deny that the uh, Earth circles the sun, uh, they you know, science can show you whether you're right or not. We're talking physics, not politics, okay? And the truth. Uh, whatever it is, will out. And uh, if you are wrong about this, having been forewarned, uh, what could be a bigger mistake on this planet than to misapprehend the uh, nature of, of how we are on it, you know, and, and what's going on? Yeah. And, uh, again, you take political people and you give them science, physics, and math, stuff they can't twist. You can't, you know, it is what it is, and that doesn't suit politics at all. And um, so I've been arguing with a conservative friend of mine. What if it is true? Let's yeah. just let's just assume uh, for a minute that it is true, and what? we deny it, and don't do nothing, uh, let alone uh, stick our heads up wherever. Uh, yeah. Our, wow. Our grandchildren uh, will say fifty, seventy, hundred years from now, 
oh, you were wrong. It is true. <laughs> and the uh, arguments that are made, for instance, uh, oh, they were wrong uh, 40 years ago. Like, uh, science doesn't accumulate knowledge, and we don't become smarter the more we look at something. And, and uh, again, uh, it just... Uh, I'm stunned by it as a, uh, I'm a bachelor of science and, and I respect the scientific method. The uh, question is always open for more proof and people who, you can't fudge science. Uh, somebody else will come along and say, no, wrong. And, yeah. and uh, right and wrong, math, physics, you can't, wow. When you got a lot of people on your side that don't want to uh, accept um, what appears to be a truth. I'm, I'm thinking of the story you told of the fellow who did the uh, practice raid on <clears throat> Pearl Harbor. Right. Right. Admiral and, Harry and, Arnell, one of my said, heroes. Yeah. Yes. Said that, oh, no, you can't do that. That's not right. You, you, that was an aberration. <laughs> yeah, the backstory, real quick. Uh, Admiral Harry Arnell was uh, uh, one of the first naval aviators, and he was uh, in charge of carrier group in the mid-30s in Hawaii, and they did some war games. And uh, the war game was supposing that the Japanese might attack, and... The war game has a script. Uh, you know, uh, the orange and the blue, they, they do what it says in the script. Well, Admiral Yarnell says, well, I'm supposed to be the Japanese. The script uh, isn't really Japanese, so yeah. they lead with sneak attacks. They have in all the uh, hostilities they've done recently uh, in the last uh, bit of history. There's always been a sneak attack. So he took his carriers, Yorktown and Hornet, I think it was at the time, went out and hid in a, in a squally piece of ocean and didn't use his radio for a couple of days. Nobody knew where he went, and they were kind of upset about it until on a Sunday morning, Sunday. I believe it was yeah. uh, February something, 1933, a day that does not live in infamy, his biplanes, biplanes took off the carrier deck in stormy conditions that were marginal and showed up in Honolulu on a Sunday morning and flew about the town at will. And uh, what did we learn from this? We learned that you don't go off script, okay? Mm -hmm. Harry Yarnell was given a uh, new assignment uh, being in charge of gunboats somewhere in a tiny creek, okay? Yeah. Um, his career was basically over. And the message was uh, you didn't do what you were supposed to do. And, of course, we learned nothing. So, yeah, yeah one of my heroes, Harry, Admiral Harry Yarnell. So, um, Alan, last month we talked about eels, elvers. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I heard that. Yeah. The uh, eel fishery has become the number two fishery in Maine after lobsters. Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of nets set up recently around yeah. the group. We're talking um, uh, 30 to $35 million, and uh, that's a nice little industry. Now, um, tried to give a little uh, local flavor of, of the eel industry last uh, a month and also... Uh, had an interesting discussion with a spokesman from the uh, Department of Marine Resources about some of the ins and outs of the uh, fishery, which is very peculiar in that eels exist everywhere. They, uh, of course, leave our ponds and rivers. They uh, come down and enter the ocean, and they swim to the Sargasso Sea, the other side of Bermuda, about 1,000 miles, mm -hmm. where they mate. And then their offspring swim back. And uh, that is an epic journey. Now, they are not... Uh, imprinted on a piece of water where they come from, okay? Uh, a Penobscot eel will not come back to the Penobscot River, they don't think. Um, they'll go to any river they come to up the whole eastern seaboard from the Carolinas just to the Maritimes. Oh, to head northwest. From or, you know, we, I'll go with the flow some days mm -hmm. if I'm a tiny little elver, you know? Um, so from South Carolina to Maine uh, to the Maritimes, uh, these things are coming ashore, but only South Carolina and Maine have fisheries. The stuff is incredibly valuable. You get a pound of Elvers, it's like 2,000 of the little wigglers, okay? About a gallon container, let's imagine. Mm -hmm. 1,500, 1,800, couple thousand bucks, okay? Now you've got to have a license to sell those, but let's imagine that I don't have a license, I can go find some somewhere. Let's say I live in another state, New Jersey, Massachusetts, any damn place where they come ashore. I can go down to the creek and dip them out, get in my truck, drive down to Maine, find somebody that will buy them for half price. I'm still way ahead. And again, the uh, access to um, uh, catching these things is, is pretty easy to catch. Uh, anybody with a dip net can catch them, and they're very valuable. We're talking $33 million of cash. It's a cash fishery as well. 
And uh, so there have been abuses. And in the Ellsworth American last week on the uh, waterfront pages, Elver investigation is widespread. And we have a picture here of federal agents going in and out of a room in Jasper's Motel. And they won't say why. But they've been doing this all up and down the East Coast. They have been raiding places. They have been... Um, Subpoenaing, subpoena, uh, you know, uh, subpoena mm -hmm. for uh, records and uh, uh, business information of the buyers and stuff. And the fishery is a little bit out of control on the money end of it. Mm -hmm. Supply and demand. Um, Money's the bottom line there, isn't it? Yeah. It is the bottom line. We're talking, again, uh, uh, not this year, but last year, the first night of the Elver fishery, a half a million dollars cash exchange hands in Ellsworth, Maine, just on the Union River, a half a million dollars. Wow. Cash. Okay? There's got to be some wiggle room in there for somebody to grab some, okay? I like that. With the eels, there's wiggle room. Hey, good one. I thank you for playing. <laughs> it's uh, very but unconscious. I was thinking they're like eagle doers. Yeah. So, again, the uh, feds are all over this. Now, if uh, the feds get very unhappy about what's going on here, this fishery could be shut down. Huh. And again, Maine's now second with most valuable money, fishery. With that money out there, potentially, I don't know if it'll be shut Ooh, down. Ooh, and, uh, you know, have we ever had a little gold mine that's been shut down before? Look under the uh, next headline, urchin season hearing set. Oh, yeah. Okay, and the urchin season is, uh, you know, oh, uh, nine-day season proposed here, and, the, and that used to be the gold mine, the oh, urchins, yeah. I know back in the day. And uh, we kind of messed that up a little bit in different ways, so... You know, messed up pretty good, though. Yeah, so uh, the eels, like I say, uh, um, pretty interesting little critters, and there's they're too valuable for their own good. My, my, I can't understand why if they're so valuable, and obviously they'll grow here because they swim here to, to uh, grow up. Why don't we just grow them here? Excellent question. I mean, what's what's the problem? Yeah, because uh, and here's what's happened to these eels. The uh, um, uh, people in Asia like to eat the adult eels, not the little wigglers. Well, that's what they do with them, yeah. They get, yeah, and those babies. adult eels that they like to—they're on the bottom of a muddy pond in Maine, the one they're looking for. So what they do is they take our little wigglers and they put them in a muddy pond in Asia somewhere, and they grow them until they become big eels, and then they cut them up and eat them. Mm -hmm. And uh, why couldn't we do that? Is a good question. Um, there has all, always been eel fisheries, too, for adult eels. You can catch them. We used to leave a, a, a bobber with a, a hook on the bottom with a worm too long. Uh, mm -hmm. Your hook's on the bottom with a worm, and he will come over, uh, over and eat it. And you pull that up, and it's like, oh, I'm cutting that off. I ain't, oh, <laughs> yeah. that was gross catch eels. Yeah. And uh, when they migrate, uh, people catch them coming and going up and down the rivers. Um, the silver eels, the ones that are uh, ready to go in their brackish they're, they're water. And, out, yeah. yeah, always have. Um, yeah, pretty interesting stuff. And again, all connected and, uh, we don't have, uh, the talking yesterday about the Northwoods park and, and the paper mills that aren't up in, in Millinocket anymore. And how are we going to make this place, uh, be viable financially for people? And again, we've got a nice little fishery here that is in peril. Mm -hmm. Well, we hope that. People will wake up. That's what it's going to take is because education. You know what else, Alan? People don't use boats much for the eel fishery. Maybe we're out of bounds anyway. Oh, that's true. Mostly shore fishery, yeah. you know. Yeah, we're right on the edge. Yeah, we're right on. Oh, good one again. <laughs> so that's the uh, that was the uh, tie-in to last month. And uh, the front page of the Bangor Daily News yesterday was uh, mildly interesting. It had a schooner on the front page. Uh, headline is, Generational Sea Change Sweeps Windjammer Fleet. And uh, mm -hmm. the Times have uh, uh, the Windjammer fleet, the business, I guess, peaked uh, before September 11th, you know, and since then they've been fighting uh, new, hmm. new whatever. Hmm. And uh, uh, was talking with a friend of mine who was uh, captain uh, uh, sometimes on Isaac H. Evans. Remember uh, Brenda Walker? We interviewed yep. Brenda with mm -hmm. Isaac H. Uh, Evans a long time ago. Um, you going to get rich doing that, Brenda? No. Okay, but you can probably string it along and make a decent living, you know, and there's a lot of work in it, too, and it takes a lot of people, and it ain't easy. So there's been a couple of uh, schooners that are, uh, for instance, uh, the Lees, Doug and Linda Lee. They built Heritage years ago. They're the they're grandparents of the schooner uh, yeah. uh, people. 
uh, Heritage is up for sale, and so are uh, a number of other schooners. A couple, uh, Timberwind, uh, I'm not sure which other one, uh, a couple have been uh, possessed by the bank, you know. And again, uh, there's uh, more than a schooner or two up for sale this season if you want, but the Lees wouldn't give that boat to anybody. It has to be just the right person, and a lot of those people are already in the schooner industry. The uh, uh, picture here is uh, Candace uh, uh, Kuczynski and Dennis Glant have just purchased Angelique, and Dennis has been the mate and, uh, you know, captain on Angelique for years and bought her from the pre- The joke has been from the previous owner, you're, you're the only guy I can sell it to, and, you know, he knows that boat inside and out, and now he owns it. And uh, they are schooner people, and they're going to do that. And again, you can't just take. Uh, oh, let's uh, let's use the example of the Left Bank Cafe. Okay, uh, owners are not always interchangeable. Uh, uh, not all businesses are like say. So anyway, a hmm. uh, little dependent on the captain and the, and the people. So schooner uh, uh, season is just about to start up, and those people are doing the maintenance right now. I I got green bottom paint on me this morning. I've been wet sanding. Uh, yeah, I can see uh, a big old wooden still. boat all morning. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I'll be back at it as soon as we get out of here. It is the season, you know. Yeah, yeah. 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 You got to be real careful to wash your hands before you eat lunch. Well, it's uh, I don't want to say this on the on the radio, but uh, you know you got to have clean fingers so you can pick your nose and scratch your butt. <laughs> so you know. That's what it comes down to. But um, in general, the uh, boat industry seems pretty, uh, the boatyards seem like uh, everybody's doing pretty good this season. Um, And I hate to say that the customers are partly divorced from from the economy that that we're stuck in, but uh, that might be partly true. Um, You know, the top end of our our, uh, income level is doing pretty good, and and they're they're our customers. Yep. And so the boatyards are doing doing fairly well. Yes. Even though, again, uh, lots of other people are hurting. So, isn't that something? The big boatyard in Belfast is doing quite well now. Yeah. And the summer people are showing up and opening up the cottages, and, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful thing to see them back. So, boat talk this morning. Yes, and it is also uh, Pledge Week this month, too. God bless you for picking that right up. (laughs) Yeah, I need to uh, give out the number for anybody who uh, appreciates Boat Talk or just happen to be listening to Boat Talk and appreciates community radio, non-commercial radio. Give us a call and make a pledge of any amount. There's no set amount, whatever works for you. 1-800-643-6273 is the number right into... Operator Central. Let's try and imagine, uh, we get a lot of sustaining members that give additional gifts. Let's try and imagine somebody who's out there has been a sustained listener, has never given nothing. That's true. How do you snag that person, okay? Don't you feel a little guilty? Do you only listen to boat talk, okay? We do. Uh, what else do you enjoy? Yeah. And uh, try and imagine what it takes to organize a radio station, even with volunteers, especially with volunteers. <laughs> okay, that's a good joke. Obviously scraping the bottom of the barrel here. What do you say to a, what do you say to a bad volunteer, Alan? Thank you. Yep. You know, and we don't have any, but, you know, just a good joke. So, so again, uh, this is not a casual thing, this uh, community radio station we have here. Um, took these two tugboats, uh, Penobscot and Seguin, Old Navy uh, YTB tugboats. They uh, worked Bath Iron Works for years and then hauled cement barges. Now they're going to Haiti, uh, now owned in Haiti and going to work, you know, and die down there. And Are they steel? Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, Seguin was a uh, 98, uh, I'm sorry, Penobscot's a 98-footer built in 1944, and Seguin was 109 feet and built in uh, 71 or so, I think. Uh, Penobscot had uh, two blown cylinders, the the engine's the size of a tractor trailer, the cylinders are pretty big, and uh, going to Mobile, Alabama to get fixed up, we uh, took her down the length of the East Coast. A lot of times we were far enough offshore, it was hard to get any radio, but scanned the dial real hard the whole way down, and did not come up with one community station the entire length of the East Coast. I've done that traveling around, too. It is uh, frustratingly sparse. Isn't yeah, it? and that was Huntington College in, in uh, uh, Long Island, uh, which is actually a college sort of community station. And again, uh, and and I would delight in scanning the radio. I would always stop on 89.9 and just see if there was anything. There. Nothing anywhere, okay? Mm-hmm. This is, I'm telling you, a special little spot. So how about some support this morning? 1-800-643-6273. And 
It's also a call-in show. I should give the call-in number, but um, I don't remember it. You can. 1-888-1-866-866-866. Nine three seven eight one eight six 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 two five W E R U, and uh, call anytime. For instance, we mentioned the radar theory of life. I could expound on that if I was forced to. I wouldn't do it unless anybody, had, you know. Yeah. But um, we also have Lori Schreiber here. We'll get to uh, talking. To I Lori. think we should talk with Lori rather than going around to my radar story. Wanted to ask Lori. Lori's a, a bit of a journalist. Have you uh, uh, covered the Elver end of the fisheries at all? I have a little bit, but not the latest developments with the investigation. Yeah. So I, I'm not up to date on that, I'm afraid. So she squirms out of that answer. Yes. Another, um, <laughs> uh, again, uh, you know, uh, every once in a while you wonder what you can say and not say on the radio, but uh, there's another headline in, in the paper lately about uh, the Bagaduce River and aquaculture on the Bagaduce River. Now, we ain't going to touch that, okay? There's no boats over there. and uh, Or maybe they are attending their uh, oyster farming over there and um, uh, having uh, cages suspended in the river. The uh, neighbors are upset, and it's been, uh, they've been having meetings, and they've been yelling at each other, and it's been on the front page of the paper. Mm. And the other day, they had not just, uh, they had pictures of all the people whose names you read all the time, okay? The fishermen look different from, from the people who are uh, complaining about, uh, you know, their, uh, what's out their in their front view. yard. You can tell who's who just by looking at them. Okay. Uh, I don't know if I can say that out loud on the radio. So, yeah, um, it's not PC. Mike. No, it's not. But, uh, again, um, you know, uh, we all got to get along here somehow. And, and again, people got to make a living. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what we're trying to do. I mean, sometimes you get a little excited trying to get along, but it, in the long run, this, you, we try to make it work out. Yeah. So, and again, it's um, uh, the day of the hunter-gatherer is arguably, uh, you know, seen its, seen its high point. And uh, the idea that you can just gather up resources and sell them is, is uh, you know, it's a great thing, but it's kind of going out of style a little bit. And uh, sustainable, the lobster fishery, sustainable, sustainable, it's a buzzword. Mm-hmm. And uh, how about the elvers? How about the urchins? How about the, you know, uh, bottom fish, uh, you know? about non-geo plant, not MGO plants? <laughs> yeah, uh, and we could go on with uh, seaweed and, and, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so. I, I could interject just please, a little bit on please. the Bagaduce. I was at that meeting. There were a couple of hundred people there, um, but there was a lot of um, sense of uh, people wanting to do right by each other. It, it wasn't so much yelling at each other um, as you know, there were different points of view, um, and uh, there's a sense of these are my, these are my neighbors, you know the aquaculture people mm-hmm. are neighbors of uh, the riparian owners and things like that, um, and uh, there's a lot of trying to find common ground, um, as uh, trying to mesh different points of view. Right, glad to hear it. That's what it's all about. Yeah, we do have a caller to Boat Talk. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. How's it going, fellas? Good. How are you? Good. Um, I've been thinking of for a long time about building a St. Pierre dory and open one just as a harvesting boat. And uh, huh. like a trailerable harvesting boat that I could, you know, use the automobile to get it near to the resource and then just take it out there to do whatever with, maybe seaweed. And uh, one of the things I've been really having a difficult time with is trying to duplicate the drop-down propeller shaft that was done on the original St. Pierre dory. And... Uh, I don't know if you've seen the Dory book. Probably I was going to say, you've got to start there, dear. Well, of course. I There's got a, the Dory part. book is a, a boat-building classic. It goes back to the, what, late 70s or so, I'm guessing. Right, but yeah. the, in, the, in the original um, boat used up in Labrador, they have like a five-horse make-and-break or something like that in there. And what I have is a uh, eight-horsepower uh, Yanmar sailboat auxiliary motor. Nice. But I've been told, well, that thing turns twice as fast and... You know, you won't be able to do the engineering on the shaft the same or the drop-down shaft the same. I don't know. Um, but I think it's, it's really important to have the drop-down propeller if you're going to ground the thing. So That is a nice feature. Um, I have a fair bit of experience with St. Pierre Dories. 
down in uh, the Northumberland Strait down in uh, Nova Scotia. My buddy bought one years ago, and that boat tortured him to death. And, uh, it was terrible, tell you the truth. We had some adventures in that old thing. Um, the uh, engineering, like you say, is um, kind of primitive, and it works that way. Now, um, you're, uh, uh, let's put it this way, wooden boat, uh, let's imagine a chair that nobody ever tips back on its back legs, okay? Nobody ever racks it, nobody ever uh, drops it, kicks it, uh, you know, uh, and your wooden boat, if it just sat there, would be a nice thing, but uh, let's add the vibration of the engine. It's it's been yeah. a factor. We're yeah. going through a universal too. Yeah, but uh, like say things are things are vibrating, they're shaking, and uh, you got to allow for that. So I would think uh, at the very least you're going to have to have some kind of absorber, you know, some kind of shock absorber. In um, not just the motor mounts, but on the drop down on the collar that holds the drop down shaft. Yeah, to kind of, uh, and isolate the uh, like say you want to isolate the uh, vibration of the of the motor and. Uh, Heck of an idea, though. I can't. I, I uh, know how those things uh, look, and I can't quite picture the Yanmar uh, installation there. But good luck to you. Why well, St. Pierre, Dory? Now, oh, just the general seaworthiness, the general size. Uh, you know, what, what would you suggest? No, hard that's, that's hard to say. Yeah, no, flat bottom Dory. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you <clears> definitely <throat> want a flat bottom kind of skiff, and uh, you know why not a why not a big old Dory? The um, uh, pointy ends of a St. Pierre are a little little extreme. They're a little pointy, and, and the bow is uh, what I call ski jump bow. Oh, yeah. You know, kind of points right to the sky there. I'm, I'm not big on those, but other than that, yeah, they're a well-proven uh, seaworthy boat, no doubt about it. Here's another idea. Rather than uh, using your inboard engine, how about putting an outboard engine into a well and use one of those... Um, lift devices they have on back of sailboats so that when you don't want to have it dragging you can swing it up and then when you want to engage it you can swing it back down into the well well i guess if money were no object i'd go out and get a great four, four cycle outboard yep but you already got the anmar and again you picture yeah. the idea the uh, you can't hang the outboard on the back end of the transom no, of the it has to go in as well yeah. basically nothing there so you build a box just forward to the end of the boat and it hangs in that box goes up and down uh, would be the other solution. Plus, I'd rather have uh, diesel aboard the boat than gasoline. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, yeah, that's true too. Yeah. Well, have you seen the uh, uh, Jeff Spiro designs there? Don't doesn't no. call anything to mind. Uh, well, I was researching building a dory, and I found this uh, engineer out in California who basically he's like come up with a simple. His idea is you know teach you how to build your own boat out of construction grade materials and a glass over. He has a couple nice. Uh, dory designs there to look at uh a dory is like i say a, a beautiful thing um your uh dory is is uh kind of narrow on the bottom though generally and uh you want carrying capacity you might even think about a wider bottom uh flat bottom skiff you know like uh such as a just for instance, my buddy used to be a urchin diver back in the gold rush days, okay, and I fixed him up with a uh, a skiff that uh, was built at the Wooden Boat School. It was a Harry Bryan design. It was the Daisy Skiff. It's a flat bottom, 12 footer. He could fit 11 full urchin totes and a fella in that boat, okay, to get him from the boat into shore. In what kind of wave? <laughs> uh, you know, pretty calm little anchorage, but, you know, like say when the boat was bad, he could fit 11 totes and the man. It certainly wasn't sitting uh, on the seat well, with those 11 totes, okay? But that little 12-foot skiff would take 11 fish totes full of urchins. Okay, like I'm, I'm a former urchin fisher, and that's just insanity, but I've seen that thing done. Too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, that's a, you know, it's a wide-bottom, uh, flat-bottom skiff with some, with some rocker to it fore and aft. Mike, you should also mention the dory shop up in Canada in Nova Scotia. We used to uh, have, uh, oh, who I'm oh, trying to think of his name, uh, the dory fellow from uh, down, Lowell's Dory Shop in Massachusetts used to call all the yes. time. It was a regular caller. Lowell, uh, Lowell's Dory Shop. Yep, it's coming right to me, and uh, it'll come as soon as I stop thinking about it. But yeah. we haven't heard from him for a while if he's out there. Graham. Graham. Yeah, yep. hey, the Chesapeake Dory, you know what I'm talking about there? That's the style that's close to what you're talking about. Yeah, we, Chesapeake's not a word that, that uh, I like to say. <laughs> You'll have to cover that up with duck God, I go through there all the time. It's hot, flat, crowded, and shallow, you know, and uh, Chesapeake's not, not one of my favorite words. So um, I'd keep her up north with the design there. I like the double-ended, you know. 
Yeah. So I like the double-ended just for, you never know what you're going to run into. Right. Well, and again, well, what's going to run into you? Yeah, <laughs> you need uh, carrying capacity and you need it to go easily through the water and come and go off a trailer, which is, again, uh, harder to take a boat on and off a trailer than most people understand. There's definite tricks to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Best of luck to you. Hi. Nice day for your time. Yeah. yeah. Anytime, man. Nope. We had another phone call, but I'm afraid they got tired of waiting. But you can um, call Boat Talk by dialing 1-866-625-9378. And we will, uh, like I say, uh, take advantage of Lori Schreiber sitting right here. Lori, you've been a journalist for a fair while. Yeah, about 25 years. How'd you, how'd you start being a writer? I moved to Mount Desert Island to Bass Harbor and, uh, you know, got a job right off the bat at the Bar Harbor Times, good old newspaper, and uh, just stayed with it for a long time. And what did they start you off doing at the Bar Harbor Times? Uh, police beat, uh, you know? <laughs> I started off as a copy editor and then I uh, went into town news um, and... Um, pick up arts, you know, feature articles yeah. and uh, maritime-related things to write about. All right. Um, we'll have to come back to Lori, and then we have another phone call. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hi. I just wanted to make a comment on your dories. Uh, the oh. state of Maine is full of these uh, fiberglass stained dories that got made for the soft point fleet. They're 25 or two standard sizes from what I understand. Yeah, yeah. 25 and a 35 footer. They're for sale. You could buy them for a thousand bucks. Boy, if you had to have one built, it'd probably be closer to 10, you know. <laughs> but, uh, they make uh, outstanding boats for things like that. Just yeah. Share that with you. Put a wanted in Uncle Henry's and you'll have more phone calls and you know what to do with Yeah, it. probably. Excellent point. And again, these are left over from a fishery that's not as vigorous as it used to be. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent point. Hey, thanks for calling Very this good. morning. Where are you at this morning? Uh, been Warren, All right, nice down there. See you. Thank, hey, thank you. We have another caller. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Yes, hello. Um, thanks for taking my call. Um, I love the program. I haven't been a boat owner in the past, but uh, I am a new boat owner now of a of an old boat. <laughs> oh. But uh, and I had a question. Haven't you ever heard us talk about other people's boats? Yeah. You know. <laughs> Uh, basically, it's a it's a um, Catalina 22, and I wanted to have it moored. And um, I'm a little familiar with boats, uh, different kinds of boats, but uh, I've always noticed on the foredeck, the mooring cleats were, yep. were always in the center with a chalk on each side near the bow. Yep. Now, this boat comes with a cleat where the chalks normally would be. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you the first thing about that cleat, it ain't big enough to put on a mooring. Right, it's a six um, and a half inch. Yeah, the first thing we need to do is take that off and throw it away. Okay, that's and what I figured. get yourself a major size cleat. That's what you're going to be tying your boat to when, when the wind's blowing and you're rolling around in bed wondering if everything's all right. Why don't you think of that cleat some night, okay? Get, right. Get a good one. What, yeah. what, re- what size would you recommend? Oh, uh, it would be nice if it's big enough for the mooring rope to go under the base of it. And then around the horns would through, be, through the two legs would be then, excellent, yeah. And we're talking, uh, like say, a fair fair size cleat there. Like it would an eight inch cleat eight inch be probably do it. Yeah, um, sounds about right. I, I'd have to see it. Yeah. Um, you also want to when you screw that down to your boat, um, you can't just screw it into your deck. You've got to put a backing plate, a big piece of metal behind it. Right. And make a sandwich. Um, metal or hard fiberglass. Yeah, it's got to be uh, got to be well backed up there. And make yourself a bomb-proof uh, uh, new cleat operation. The first thing I do with any little boat like that is, is put mooring cleats on them. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. And the Catalina 22, does that have what they call a swing keel? Yes, it does. Watch out for that damn thing. It just had the new uh, the keel refinished and the yeah. new keel pin and the cable. Pin. Yeah, you know why? Because they're trouble. Right. I fixed one of those one time, and then it messed up, and I fixed it again for free and made a, a minor legend because it worked the second time, and, and they're a little nightmare in they're not they're not well built uh, down there. What they did was uh, uh, put a stainless steel pin and uh, poured uh, thickened fiberglass down in there, and it cracks out and the pin rots. So uh, stainless well, stainless that doesn't get oxygen is not stainless, and those things go to hell. That's a bad little rig, the swing keel. Unless you're going to weather and it's doing its thing, you know. Right. 
the Catalina 22 being a small sailboat. And, again, we're talking lateral resistance is, is again, how you get anywhere towards the wind, yeah. So the pl- uh, getting back to the pl- placement of the cleats, is that uh, is that considered okay to have a cleat pl- pl- placed on the uh, tow rail like that? Um, if it's secured well? Not going to chafe on anything as, it, as the uh, mooring comes aboard, is it? It's a matter of if you can screw it down hard. If you do put it back in the middle of the boat, in the in the center of the boat, um, again, uh, how does the mooring come over the rail? Chafe is the enemy always. Yeah. Right. You know. Well, I thought I could put chocks where the cleats were. Yeah. Yes, that's uh, the best idea. But the only problem there is uh, the deck, it, it appears to have a, fiber, uh, a uh, plywood, like a 3-8-inch plywood backing that's glassed to the deck but it's not uh there's not a core it's just like if you look up in the forepeak um way up in the very bow in the little locker area there you can see the underside of the plywood it doesn't have more fiberglass i was trying to avoid the issue of whether that was cord foredeck or not yeah. and uh i was prepared to ignore that for you but you don't <laughs> want to be a cord foredeck because uh again if the core gets wet the boat is junk, right so do you think that that plywood would continue back over the entire foredeck? Nah, I'd have to. I'd have to see it. I'm not. I was not impressed with Catalina boat building. I would, yeah. I would guess no. I think it's there just as a stiffener, so that you don't get a sort of a trampoline effect in the middle of the the uh, foredeck. Yeah. Right. The deck is quite rigid. Yeah. yeah. But um, so, w- would you recommend putting a cleat in the middle? The only problem with that is I have the liner in there, the the headliner and unless I put the cleat directly between where the two old cleats are, so that it would have to be c- go crosswise. Hmm. Um, yeah, yeah that's, that's not kosher. No. Okay. We don't like that. Okay. Um, like I say, uh, kind of the situation we'd have to, I hate to say we'd have to see it, but we'd have to, yeah. you know, I'd put it anywhere I could, and it doesn't have to be in the middle. Uh, it can be anywhere, you know, let's say your, your uh, mooring always comes over the port side, mm-hmm. so what? Right. You know? Yeah. But it, but it is considered okay just to have a cleat on the tow rail for mooring. If you can fasten it well yeah. enough, you're, yeah, can you you can't get well. a backing plate under the under there. I can do that. Yeah, it's got a backing plate now. Yeah. Um, so that would be. And then would you use um, if you used an eye splice on that? Then how would you install chafing gear? Oh, a uh, split piece of hose. You know. But you'd have to shove it up after you. Got it on there, I guess. Split piece of hose and, and sew either end if you don't want it to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Take right. a little turn with some uh, uh, dental floss. Is that you know? the best way to to, um, to moor it rather than cleat the line? Would you have an eye splice? Oh, uh, definitely recommended, yeah. An eye splice? Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And do you run it through the center of the cleat and then flip it back around? That's... Forward? The bomb-proof way to do it, yes, and then put a preventer over the top of that. Then, then people will wind the line from the pickup buoy over the top of that back and forth, and just in case the thing wants to jump off on its own. Well, that's which what I, I was wondering if, yeah. it, if it could jump off. Yeah, yeah. they don't. But uh, again, people uh-huh. will will last that. Uh, the old rule around boats: if you don't know how to tie a knot, tie a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You know, so if you can't tie a simple knot, just keep looping her back and forth, and All that's right. what that's what people do. So. Yeah. Okay, so you could even just loop the eye of the splice, the eye splice, right around the right around the cleat, and then that would be uh, considered one way to do it. Yeah, you could just take a, a straight end of a piece of rope, put it through the base of the cleat, tie a bow, and wrap that around a couple of times. Out of work, but okay. you know, uh, again, do you know how to tie a bow and right? Uh, you know. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and and not worry about it late at night when the uh, wind's blowing. Okay. You know, rattling the, the trees against the house. Yep. Yeah. Well, great. Well, thank you so much. Best of luck with you, Catalina 22. Of well, course, thanks. the uh, dream is a sunny day and the rail in the water and everybody's smiling, the, you know. And then the keel falls off. Well, right? again, that's that happened to my friends. We got a, a good cheap boat to fix up, and it didn't turn out to be good or cheap. So. Right. right. It's an old boat joke. Send send us a picture of your uh, of your work when you're done with it. We'll put it on the Boat Talk website. Yeah. Oh, okay, great. Very good. All right, thank you very much. Thank Excellent. you. Bye-bye. We are, uh, what was it, uh, 10.40 already. Time and, is sailing uh, by. Yeah, we'll, we, and Lori, we'll stop, you know, we'll talk to anybody that walks up and wants to kick the keel. We're pretty informal around Boat Talk. Sounds uh, great. Lots of other these uh, shows that come with scripts and stuff. Uh, I can't find my script, so... <laughs> 
uh, we're all set. But we were talking to you. Started at the Bar Harbor Times, so I started sending you out on uh, news stories. But living down on MDI there uh, in this local area down east, the uh, there's you got local news and then you got background. Background. What do you mean by background? background? Uh, the history, the people, the you know the people who live here and make the place work. Yeah. Um, well, that's been one of the great pleasures I've had uh, to explore since. Uh, the Barber Times uh, went out of business a couple of years ago, and I kind of got kicked out on the street and uh, started a freelance writing career and uh, began to uh, explore history of boat building in particular. Nice. Um, so that's, that, that pertains to your background in, in one endeavor anyway. Got to be a, it's tricky to be a self-employed anything, okay? And yeah. uh, I would think self-employed writer. Yeah, so it's a little tricky. It pays yeah. the bills, so. Yeah? Yeah. Good. You can make it work, and, and we do some uh, editing and, and uh, you know. You know, I'm not going to be rich on it <laughs> anytime soon, probably. But, uh, no, it pays the bills. It's all right, and it's very enjoyable. It's nice. You, does your grammar help you out? My grammar? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, that's one thing that when you start as a copy editor, obviously the... Uh, People who own the paper realize that you do know what good grammar is. It seems to be a fading art, I see. A lot of, uh, especially Mike will tell you uh, on uh, uh, websites we go visit and uh, Facebook pages and all that sort of stuff. It's like, what are these people thinking when they're making these posts? That well, not only that, but you must know from your kids, as I do from mine, that uh, even basic things like uh, handwriting are fading out. Oh, because script. everybody's yeah, using cursive. Uh, yeah. computers. Yeah. So um, you obviously have a website. Yes, I do. Profile, Tell us about it. Profilesmain.com. Um, I started uh, posting uh, long stories. Uh, I started out uh, writing about artists, which is another uh, favorite topic of mine. And uh, I had covered, as a reporter, I had covered many boat launches on MDI and beyond. And I just thought, well, wonderful. what a wonderful topic. I had never really explored the history. So I started doing long profiles about individual uh, builders. And then it took me back into uh, history, back to about 1900. Now, you made a point of making a disclaimer earlier. We'll throw it in right here now. You're not a boat person. I am not a boat expert. I'm not much of a boat person. I did do some sailing. I can probably sail a small boat. But, um, no, I'm not a boat expert by any means. But you know how to talk to people and, and tell their stories. Yes, I'm an excellent interviewer, and uh, I, I love community. I love family. And um, that's how I approach these. I always tell uh boat builders that that's how I'm going to approach uh, what I write about them and I think that they've all been on board with that it's a great website too profilesmain.com I read there just recently an article you did on the the Hinckley family speaking yeah. about families <laughs> yeah just tell us a little bit about that one that was a good one well um, I came uh, to that story uh, first by interviewing Hank Hinckley, the youngest son of Henry Hinckley, the founder, and uh, then got to interview uh, Bob and Tina Hinckley. Bob is the oldest child. And, uh, of course, I, as I, you know, mentioned, I've been to a lot of boat launches, so I'd, I'd been down to the Hinckley yard uh, for, uh, you know, a number of times. Uh, so I was aware of their work these days um but in talking with hank and bob i asked them you know what was your dad really like as, as a person and what was your mom like and what was it like growing up around uh this fantastic creative endeavor clearly your dad was an innovator and a very creative person and very involved in what he did and he was the founder of this fantastic company operating today so that's what i asked them and i pretty much wore hank out i think over the course <laughs> of a couple of interviews two hours each is <laughs> he indulged my my interrogations i didn't ever get to hang out with henry hinckley i worked at that's where i met alan at the at the hinckley company uh, uh mid 80s or so and uh but i did work for my mentor uh, vale marvin old uh, surveyor vale uh, 
Vale worked for Henry for a long time. Vale was uh, Henry's customer handholder, okay? Mm -hmm. And Henry fired Vale like three times for being too close to the customers <laughs> who he was supposed to be shepherding through the mm -hmm. company. Yeah. And Henry was a bit of a character. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Let's, let's get back to the Hinkley story yeah. in a minute. We have a, another phone call. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hello. Yes, you're on Boat Talk. Go ahead. Thanks. Uh, Lou calling from the town of Hope. Hi, Hope Lou. Maine. Oh, it's good to live in Hope, Lou. <laughs> well, it's an interesting name for a town that you live in. Um, uh, let's see. I, I'll say that I was born and raised on boats. I've spent a lot of time on small boats. But um, I'm more interested, more concerned these days with our various environmental crises. Um but I'll back up and just say I have one comment on something you said earlier, Mike, to a guy asking about attaching a big mooring line to his bow. And I was thinking, it was interesting what you said, um, if you can't tie a knot, tie a lot. I thought that was amusing. I hadn't heard that. And it reminded me what I'd rather suggest to people is if you can't tie a knot, learn. I would like to see people really master their knots. Um, but around the environmental challenges, I was really, really encouraged to hear you guys just uh, start your show by taking that bull by the horns. It's such a controversial subject, and uh, it reminds me of the things that are pertinent to your show, say, um, commercial fishing, which, uh, you know, is always sort of caught between uh, supply and demand and um the, the finite nature of resources so i just would encourage people to uh, to talk this stuff over with fellow boaters um you know how are the questions how are we going to deal with greatly rising sea levels how are we going to deal with uh, finite fish on this um, little rock we live on here so um i just encourage people to to uh, practice these discussions uh, around um, taking care of the planet uh, and, um, you know, be brave. We, we really have our work cut out for us. So. If the uh, dire predictions are true, Lou, what would be smarter than to be a boat builder and a sailor? You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll float a little further inland. Might not need lawyers and bankers, is all I'm saying at the time. And want to hear my other good joke about those guys? Uh, people I, I uh, sail their boats around for these financial geniuses. Isn't it a good thing we don't go to sea in boats they design and build? <laughs> you know. Oh, the other thing. Thanks for mentioning Admiral Yarnell. He was new to me, so now. I've oh, it's a great, great story, uh, Lou. We gotta go back to knots yeah. for a minute. Um, I only know three knots, you know. Um, <laughs> you don't need a lot of knots. A bowling, you got to have a bowling. Yeah. Um, you've got to have uh, the reef knot is very handy. And uh, what would be the other one I know? Half hitch. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Clove hitch. There's got to be three. Uh, <laughs> clove hitch, yes. Clove hitch, exactly right. Clove hitch, yeah. Uh, square knot. Yeah, square knot, mm -hmm. uh, bowling, and a clove hitch. Basically, will will do you about everything you need to do. About well, indeed. Uh, learn... I agree. You don't need a lot of knots, but learn some, learn them well, and uh, and have fun on the water. I tie Bowman's left-handed, too. makes people crazy. <laughs> it's probably good for your brain. Yep. <laughs> okay, uh, that well, would be underhanded. <laughs> good to talk to you this morning, Lou. Keep yes. up the good work. Yeah, you thank you. Okay. Yeah. And we do have another phone call. Good morning. You're on Boat Talk. Hi, this is Gray from Hancock. Hi, Gray. Good morning, Gray. I'm doing pretty good. Uh, in interesting show. Um, twice you've you've uh, you've tempted me to call. The second time I did, uh, talking about the fisheries and talking about the environment and what we can do about it and do to make the fisheries sustainable and to make to save the planet or however you want to talk about it. Um, the other side of the equation is what we can do <laughs> about ourselves. And all of these problems are the result of not so much too few fish, but too many people. That's the thing that people never never seem to bring up in these discussions. And uh, I think that you can do everything you want about making the industry sustainable, but sooner or later we're going to run out of a finite resource in relation to the number of people there are. 
So that has to be part of any equation for dealing with with the uh, with the environmental and uh, fisheries issues. I would say, and I'm just putting it out there that that's got to be part of the discussion. A lot of. Um things i've been talking about lately i've i've been branding all with the same uh, tag human nature problem human nature problem you know yeah we have to we have to modify ourselves rather than think about only yeah, about modifying that ain't the gonna environment happen <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's the chances we have met the enemy yeah you know and civilization is going to have new rules of behavior if we're going to survive in the into the future and again our behavior is adaptable and has adapted a little bit uh, uh political political racism thing that's going on now for instance uh you know that discussion didn't used to exist and people are more sensitive and, and things will change and as somebody was pointing out the other day once there's enough interbreeding around the planet it'll all become moot you know um my family we have immigrants from uh, ireland in 1911 married to uh immigrants from china in uh in the 1940s you know how those people ever get together what a miracle how great you know there's the planet coming together yeah and even global climate change wouldn't be a problem if we didn't have so many people that we don't have open spaces to move to yeah you know uh we can't just pick up and move off because there's not you can't your neighbor's owns the land and his neighbor owns the land and mm -hmm. so on at any rate great show and uh, uh i think uh everybody should call uh WERU and pledge their support for shows like this. Why don't you give them the number, guys? See you later. Well done, Gray. One eight. Thank you, Gray. <laughs> well done. Uh, One eight hundred six four three six two seven three is the pledge one. Yeah. Now, Lori, we got to uh, we got to get talking. You know, we haven't uh, taken full advantage of you sitting here yet this morning. <laughs> yeah. um, you've written about some interesting people. I am fixing up right now a uh, Jarvis Newman twelve uh, foot skiff, oh, yeah? and uh, that was designed by a fellow from Little Cranberry Island. And Jarvis... Uh, Arthur Sperling. Yeah, and right. you've written about that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Jarvis uh, was an early fiberglass, very successful fiberglass builder. Uh, I forget the exact years. I'm, th I'm thinking uh, he retired late in 78. Late 50s. Late probably. 50s into the 60s, yeah. Yeah. And again, the fiberglass revolution coming on. Jar Jarvis Newman kind of led the way. And Newman uh, uh, made a number of lobster boats, uh, yeah. all with fiberglass molds. But he made this 12-foot uh, uh, rowing uh, boat. It's a fine, uh, you know, it's an 18, late sold, 1800s design. Sold a lot of those. He sold quite a lot. He sold quite a lot of uh, his uh, 36s and 46s, yeah. all those. Um, hundreds, I think it amounted to. The uh, twelve-foot Sperling skiff uh, mm -hmm. is such a good little boat that I know a lot of people have have made molds from their boat, and like say Jarvis's mold is oh. not the only mold on that boat. Oh, how interesting! And the one that I'm fixing up right now has serial number etched into it, so we're oh. thinking it's an actual Newman. So, oh, how interesting! But there's lots of copies out there just for because they are copyable. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, Chummy Rich, you're Chummy in Rich. our friend Chummy Rich. Yes, he has Bass Harbor boat. Deep roots going in boat building in the area. His father Bobby Rich and his grandfather Clifton Rich. Rich um, built is a good thing to say about Rich a boat. And it's not just that uh, branch of the family. It's uh, Richtown Riches, the next cove over, and of course uh, Bobby Rich is, uh, had two brothers who also had their own shops over in Southwest Harbor. Um, so And Jimmy and Merton Rich also. Anybody in the family have the sense of humor to name a kid Richie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Richie Rich. Richie Rich. Depends on, like I say, the family humor, but anyway. <laughs> and, but just well. absolutely lovely people as well. Oh, wonderful people. Um, Chummy's brother, for instance. Um, uh, Walter. Uh, yeah, Walter. And uh, Wally has a uh, sort of unusual, he keeps his boat uh, uh, in wild colors. Uh, uh, among a, Wally's boats usually a little unusual. Have you ever seen Chummy's water bago? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he made, made a camper, uh, basically a boat camper. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'll yeah. Put that on the website too. Yeah. The boat talk website. Yeah. 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 Um, tell us some other people you've written about, for instance. Uh, Bink Sargent, uh, who uh, with Henry Hinckley, uh, they partnered up to buy uh, Southwest Boat. It was Chester Clements' yard. Yeah. On one side of uh, Southwest Harbor. 
that became Southwest Boat. And they more did the fishing end of, of the boat industry than the odd they end. Did, yeah. They did big fishing boats during the war. They did quite a few yeah. war contracts, small military yeah. boats. And very important to, like say, the local industry infrastructure. Very important. Yeah. Hired a lot of people. Uh, drew a lot of people. So people like... Um, uh, Bobby and Roger and Ronald Rich uh, had been building on their own, but because of the war effort, they all went over to Southwest Boat and Hinkley. Yeah, like we've all been boats. through the Hinkley Company. They were all yeah. through Southwest Boat. Yeah. That's exactly, yeah. 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 yeah, back in the day. Yeah. The Hinkley Company now, of course, is off in a uh, spruce thicket, uh, you know, instead of down on the shore where they belong and building uh, jet boats. They've actually built a sailboat this year, which is the first one in a little while. Yeah. But, and you've got to hand it to them. I'm not a big fan of those jet boats, but they sell them like they're going out of style, and they yes. get a big price for them, and, and can't argue with that, you know? So um, drop us around. Uh, remind us again. Uh, we're coming up into the corner of Boat Talk here. Remind us again of the website. It's profilesmain.com. Yep. Yeah. And you are Lori Schreiber. Mm-hmm. So you could Google that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what do you um, – do you uh, – try to uh, sell these stories anywhere? Well, I'm, I'm hoping to put them together as a collection. My working title is Backside Boats. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, show them to book publishers and maybe make a little something That's out of that. That's where I was headed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah. I, I have to add, too, also, do you not only uh, write well, too? There's lots of good pictures in this, too. Wonderful uh, pictures. Yeah. The families really opened up um, uh, albums to me, and uh, the Southwest Harbor Public Library Digital Archive um, as a, a treasure trove of old pictures, and that that just keeps on growing and growing. So, yeah, and the uh, Great Harbor Maritime Museum in Northeast Harbor has also quite a treasure trove. Oh yes, yeah. Yes. Lori, I've got to say, I, I got to touch you. You're, you are a couple of things that I, I would love to be able to be someday uh, a published writer and yeah. an excellent interviewer. Oh, well. You know, uh, call you. that good bragging rights. There. <laughs> yeah, I really would. And we are doing boat talk this morning. We're running right into the corner according to this clock, although uh, these little battery clocks is different in every room. Hard to tell what time it is, but we're getting up into the corner. It is the fundraising edition. We are a community radio station here. We're actual boat people, you know, and we come in to talk about stuff that we know best. Uh, we got a fellow that comes in and talks about dogs. Uh, used to be baby talk as well, and, and that's morphed into family uh, radio now. And, and again, uh, real people just uh hanging out and talking to other real people and we call that community radio here what's that worth to you it doesn't exist everywhere and we're kind of lucky to have it yeah um so 1-866-625-9378 is the wrong number that's the it'll still work oh yeah that'll probably work too 1-800-643-6273 is the pledge number thanks to amy brown down in the engine room for engineering today Balance break and Mike Joyce. We got to talk. Uh, we're going to thank uh, Bufflehead Sailing Charters. They are a. Uh, yeah, it doesn't say here. They have been a longtime business member, and others should do the same. Bufflehead Sailing Charters. Yeah, and he's gone from copper, uh, copper something to Kevlar while we've been talking this morning. So, <laughs> best of luck with that high tech yeah, stuff. That's the season. Yeah. Support for WERU comes from Gamble and Hunter Sailmakers, making sails for classic boats, cruising boats, and the main wind jammers for 30 years near the harbor in Camden. Gambleandhunter.net. Support for WERU also comes from Allen Insurance and Financial of Camden, helping to insure Maine boats and their people since 1866. An employee-owned company, allaninsuranceandfinancial.com or 800-439-4311. Commercial free music does not come along every day, unless you are listening to WERU. Listener support, not commercials, helps pay for the music. That means your support helps pay for the music on WERU. Your support, just a simple phone call, makes all the difference. Please do what you can and make your call of support to 1-800-643-6273. 
Make a difference and listen for commercial-free quality music to continue to come along every day. Call 1-800-643-6273 or visit us online at weru.org and thanks. Ten fifty nine, and you're tuned to Community Radio WERU FM eighty nine point nine in Blue Hill, ninety nine point nine in Bangor, and streaming online at weru.org. It's Tuesday. It's time for On the Wing. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Rich Hilsinger, your host today, joined by Larry Stahlberg. Larry, nice How you doing, to have Rich? you here. Good. Hey, it's fun. What Looking a beautiful forward. what a beautiful day. Gorgeous day. Gorgeous way to start the show off. Great music. Quick thank you for some fellow that called in during Boat Talk with a business renewal from down in Tenets Harbor, Kevin Solston Cabin, and he says, keep up the great work to the Boat Talk guys. Yeah, and they do. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. do. And I don't think anybody has to tell them that, but they probably <laughs> love hearing it. It's just a great show. It is. It is. It's always nice to listen to the uh, various interviews yeah. and the chatter that goes in. And there always brings in a lot of interesting phone calls, yeah, too. Yeah, they, they, they frequently t- tackle some naughty problems. Speaking of phone calls, day four yes. here. We're at day, day four, four of our spring four. fundraiser. Yeah. And uh, we'd like you to join us out there. We usually get a lot of phone calls during... On the wing, I think all the the hosts of this particular show that runs every day Monday through Friday has their various audiences out there that that tune in and uh, and call up and and comment on the show and uh, and and uh, ask for requests. And this this three hour slot is no different. So one eight hundred six four three six two seven three. If there's anything special you want to hear today, or if you would like to join the WERU family here, become a new member business member, sustaining member, renew your membership. There's all different sorts of ways to do it. We have a couple folks out on the phone. Yeah, we do. We've, phones. We've got, yeah, we've got Paul and Karen from Northport are out there standing by at 1-800-643-6273. Quick update. Our quarterly goal is a little over 57000 We've raised a little over thirty-one. and We have a little over twenty-five to go. And out of a goal of 100 new members, we're at 30, and we need 70, so, no, 70 more, so... 
Get on that phone, 1-800-643-6273. Call before the music starts again. Yeah, we'll see if we can add to those numbers today. Give us a call. We would love to hear from you. Mr. Elias Haslinger from his brand new Live at the Gallery is going to start this morning's show off. Does a great uh, version of the Mongo Santa Maria tune, Watermelon Man. (laughs) 